Welcome to today's Energy Show. It's my pleasure to introduce Robert Goddess, President and CTO of Brillouin Energy. Brillouin developed a practical cold fusion technology. Now, just in terms of a little bit of background, fusion is a nuclear reaction when you have two atomic nuclei combining and releasing energy. I kind of look at it and I'm, I'm happy about fusion because solar customers are powered by fusion because the sun is one big fusion reactor. And in the sun, you've got two hydrogen atoms combining. They make helium and releasing lots and lots of energy so much that 93 million miles away, we can you know, get electricity from it. The problem with fusion is it requires a lot of heat and a lot of compression. And physicists have been trying to make a practical hot fusion reaction like the sun for, for 50 years. And it's really, really hard to do. And, and when I say it's practical, it's practical when you get much more energy out of the reaction than the energy investment that it takes to get the reaction started and the compression, the lasers and everything else. So hence, there's been lots and lots of interest and excitement when about 25 years ago, somebody came up with the, uh, the way of cold fusion reaction, which is something that happens at room temperature without all this complex machinery. No extraordinary containment devices, high-powered lasers, radiation problems. It's something that's captured the imagination, the fascination of everybody who's interested in, in clean, cheap energy. So this is what Brillouin's got, and I'm looking forward to hearing how um, Robert describes it and, and talks about the future. So welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. All right, good. So um, I, I probably gave a, a very um, in, incorrect and, and crummy introduction of what cold fusion is, but if you could describe to the listeners how it works and, and what your cold fusion system is. How it works is your description of the sun is actually not really quite accurate. There's a reaction called PEP, which is proton-electron-proton -proton interaction, which builds deuterons is a hydrogen with a proton with a neutron attached to it, and that's a process called solar nucleosynthesis, which is one of the areas that I studied and studied along the way and allowed me to come up with the, the concept of, of what, uh, what Brillouin is, is turning into a technology. It's not quite a technology yet. Once it's all considered a technology, when we start licensing, we've actually already signed a couple of early licenses. But when we have a technical service pack that we can send to original equipment manufacturers, OEMs, and they can start actually designing products around the technology. So what Brillouin Energy cold fusion system is, is, is cold fusion is, is, a, is a horrible word. Well, you can't get away from it, so we, we suffer with it. But uh, uh, we actually call it a controlled electron capture reaction. And everybody that's seen excess heat in uh, hydrogen, irregardless of the, the, the type of hydrogen, whether it's ordinary or, or heavy or whatever, what they're all seeing is an electron capture reaction, which actually gets rid of the positive charge that's so difficult to overcome in a hot fusion reactor, makes them so complex and difficult to use. We call it a controlled electron capture reaction because we actually understand the physics that goes into creating those neutrons, and that gives us control over the reaction, which is what differentiates Brillouin Energy from everybody else in the field. So, so uh, what what is what is the what are some of the components? Do, do I just pour water into a glass and put in some kind of catalyst and a couple of wires? Is that it? Or I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that. You can. You, you, you actually, you, you can 
You can't do that. The, the trick is the control system that you hook up to the catalyst that you put into the water. Um, that's that's the key. So if you if people go to the the Brilliant Energy website, they can find on there a technical PowerPoint that was actually watched by a uh, a PhD out of Los Alamos who's been active in the field basically from the get go. His name's Tom Claytor. There, there's been a few instances where tritium was created. Now, tritium is an isotope of hydrogen. What makes an isotope is just the number of neutrons that are attached to the uh, given number of protons, which determines which element it is. So the vast majority of hydrogen is protium, just a proton. Then there's deuterium, and then there's tritium, which has two neutrons. And then there's something called quatrium. We call it quatrium, which is actually three neutrons attached to the uh, to the proton. So tritium is a step along the way. It is radioactive, but it's, you know, unless it's in really high concentrations, it's really not dangerous. It occurs naturally in the environment from cosmic rays produce tritium. So Brillo and Energy, we've recently taken four samples, random samples out of, out of reactors that we've run, two different styles of reactor. And Tom Claytor analyzed those samples for us and they all showed significant deviation from background tritium counts, some cases, you know, four or five sigma above, depending on how many times we, we loaded and gross-loaded the, the, the core and, and hit it with our control pulses. And the only other person, Bill is the only company, the only other person that's actually produced tritium very reliably is Tom Claytor, who went to our website, watched the PowerPoint several times, and said, okay, I'm going to do my own first principles test of Robert's hypothesis. And he called me up actually back in 2011 was the first time he did that. He called me up, pretty sure it was November 2011, and he said, hey, I watched your PowerPoint, and he did his own thing. He said, you know, I did my own first principles test. That I, I took plasma glow discharge, and I put you know these massive pulses. He actually used an exploding wire detonator. They kind of have those things laying around Los Alamos labs, which put way too big of a pulse of electricity through, but it's nonetheless enough to, to generate neutrons. He said, I started with ordinary hydrogen, and I'm getting tritium, but what I really want is heat and helium. So. If you're getting tritium, if you're producing tritium, hands down, you, it's a nuclear reaction. There's no, no two ways around it. So you're able to kind of demonstrate and confirm that because you create tritium from whatever was in the, the original sample, that you've got a nuclear reaction. That's, but it's a, fusion, it's, a, it's a fusion nuclear reaction. So what's the catalyst? What's, what, what is the, the crystal structure? Where is this taking place? The reason there's no penetrating radiation is it takes place inside of a, of a crystal lattice. Right now, we're using, uh, we've used palladium, we've used nickel, tungsten should work, maybe possible to use titanium. Rossi apparently may have some iron in his mix. I don't, people, you know, may, if they start looking into this, they'll probably run across Rossi, uh, Andrea Rossi, quite a character. So it's, it's basically a metallic lattice. And, Palladium, of course, was the most famous. That's what Pons and Fleshman were working with. The reason they were using palladium is they actually use palladium to purify hydrogen. So at, at the atomic scale, 
hydrogen is actually almost twice the size of helium because helium has two protons and holds the two electrons, you know, twice as close. There's almost no screening between just the two electrons. And helium won't go through a palladium lattice, but hydrogen will. Hydrogen will go through it almost like water through a sponge. And and are are you uh, getting the are you getting the hydrogen from kind of free hydrogen that's in water or are you are you electrolyzing the water to to get the pure hydrogen? We're actually developing two different branches of the uh, of the phenomena. We're developing two technologies. They're very closely related. There's actually a lot of uh, synergy in the development of uh, our two processes. We call one WET, which is a, a trademark we're using, which stands for water electrolytic tube. And that uses electrolysis, and it provides fairly low-grade heat. You know, uh, if you have a boiler in your house, if you use hydronic heating, that runs around 85 degrees Celsius. The wet system will be able to provide energy possibly as high as 150 degrees Celsius, but that's it's kind of difficult to generate electricity with uh, at 100 degrees Celsius. Right. So, so, uh, so, but but fundamentally, what you're able to do with this wet reaction is you're, you're able to make hot water. And yeah. as you say, you know, we're all we're all heating our, our houses with hot water, and it's pretty straightforward to take that hot water and even use it for domestic hot water for heating, or even use it in a heat pump. I guess a little bit of a challenge to to get it hot enough so that you could make steam and electricity. So, does that path and that process lead to your ability to generate electricity, or you or do you have a a higher temperature process that can make steam? Higher temperature process uh, that we're also working on right now, which we call HHT, uh, stands for hydrogen hot tube, and that uses hydrogen gas. So the the hydrogen gas system is being designed to operate at 600, possibly as high as 800 degrees Celsius. The 600 degrees Celsius is sort of a a target number, and the reason for that is coal-fired power plants tend to run at about 600 degrees Celsius. The, the steam is, is easy to get nice and dry steam. You get pretty good efficiency out of your steam turbines running at that. That is, that's why we're targeting that range. Rossi recently ran a test demonstrating something that's totally not commercially useful. It'd be almost impossible to turn it into a, into a, into a product. It, it needs to, it'll only run for, you know, a month, maybe, three months, but it's a great demonstration that you can get nuclear-scale heat. It's clear that it's a nuclear process because he's getting transmutation. He's got neutrons accumulating in his system. People look at that report, the uh, the independent report of Rossi's hot cat technology. That's that's pretty obvious. Yeah, that, that's actually, that, that sounds pretty cool. So you, you say that hot process the, it'll last a month. What wears out after a month? Does the catalyst kind of get clogged? Well, and doesn't catalyze Rossi's, anymore. The reason Rossi's reactor doesn't work for that. I mean, he ran a test for 32 days, which is phenomenal. I kind of suspect that he stopped the test after 32 days because they found that the most common isotope of nickel. We talked about isotopes a little bit earlier. How it's a different number of neutrons. So the most common isotope of nickel is 58. Natural occurring nickel only has about 3% nickel 62. Nickel six, almost almost all of the nickel in his system had been converted to nickel 62. There's a little bit of nickel 64 
in the uh, in the system in, in naturally occurring nickel, and after the after the test, the nickel sixty four completely disappeared. And all of this is a great support, greatly supports the Brillouin hypothesis. Brillouin energy, because we actually control the reaction, we control how hydrogen interacts within the system. We actually don't expect to see that kind of of massive transmutation in our in our devices. How, how do so, you so so how how do you control it? Is there some kind of electric field that that's going around the outside of the catalyst? It's an electromagnetic pulse that we put through it. So you what do you, so, so you, you pulse it just repeatedly, kind of you know bang bang yep. bang. Okay. And yep. what, what's creating and and so you're using electricity to create that electromagnetic pulse. Yes. Okay. So so you've got some electricity pulsing in. Do you have any indication of of what the efficiency of the reaction is going to be? You know, the energy that's coming out in terms of heat divided by the energy that's going in, which is going to be whatever support systems and, and those those electromagnetic pulses. You live here in California, and every year people get washed off the beach in California from something called a rogue wave. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is that that is waves are all pretty small, but they're bosons, which means they can be in the same place at the same time. Now, in a wave in the ocean, uh, in fact, it was just an article in the Chronicle uh, somewhere about a, a boat. This one guy survived this fishing, but was capsized by a rogue wave. So what happens is when those little waves get in the same place at the same time, you get this monster wave. Then it disappears almost as fast as it appeared. But if you happen to be in, its, uh, in, the, in the wrong place at the wrong time, it'll wash you off the beach or capsize your boat. So what we're doing is we're causing rogue waves within the lattice by putting a huge pulse of electricity that's really, really short. We're talking, you know, 10 to the minus 9 seconds. And what that does is it causes, uh, it compresses the lattice where the hydrogen is trapped. When you do that, if you pull a metallic lattice apart, the energy goes up until it starts to yield, and then the energy drops off as it starts to yield. When you compress it, now, and the electric pulse is traveling faster than the speed of sound through the material. So when you compress it and the atoms can't get out of the way fast enough, you get a huge spike in energy. And when that spike in energy gets high enough, roughly 0.8 units, what's called the units of energy because people's heads don't explode. When you get to 0.8 units of energy in the, in the lattice where a hydrogen atom uh, proton is trapped, it will convert some of that energy, and it's just for uh, the, the fleetest of moments, but what, when that happens, when that rogue wave is passing over through the lattice where that hydrogen, through the first Brillouin zone, where that hydrogen atom is, is located, it will actually take some of that energy plus an electron and convert that energy into the mass difference between a proton plus an electron and the mass of a neutron, and that's how we generate the neutrons on demand. So essentially, you've got these. You know, I remember reading um, about these EMP things, electromagnetic pulses, little yeah, little pulses right. going through a crystal, and that pulse kind of creates a compression wave within the crystal, and you've got a tiny zone that really compresses a lot, and it compresses sufficiently to create this fusion reaction um, uh, within it's the lattice. It's not exactly a fusion reaction. What is? It's a it's an electron capture event. That's why we call it a con, an electron capture reaction. We call it a controlled electron capture reaction. Everybody's 
uh, everybody's that's seeing everybody that's seeing excess heat out of these reactions. What they're seeing is an electron capture reaction. We control it. So by creating a neutron, uh, the the reason you know tokamaks or, or hot fusion reactors are so difficult to to run is you're dealing with plasma, which is the four state of matter. It's very squirrely stuff. And you're trying to force all these positively charged things together. It's like taking, you know, two really strong magnets and putting, trying to push the two identical two, either two north poles or two south poles together. From a distance, it's easy. As you get closer and closer, it gets more and more difficult to get them to line up. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, you know, the closer you get, the more difficult it is. Same thing with electric charge. You take two protons and in a in a fusion or a a trident and a, and a deuteron in a tokamak reactor where they're trying to, to generate power, uh, you have to get it just incredibly hot in order to overcome that Coulomb barrier. Once you once you convert the proton to a neutron, there is no Coulomb barrier. Because there's no charges that are repelling. Yeah, there's no charges repelling. You've just got this little clump of matter. You've got this neutron. The neutron formed in the... there's. The, the reason the materials, the, the metallic lattices that work, work is, is because the, the hydrogen ions, the hydrogen atoms actually enter as an ion. That's how fuel cells work, right? The proton goes through and the electron takes a different path. You can, you can drive something with that potential difference between the, the, with the electron going in its own way. So the proton, uh, is, is in there. And it only goes into very specific locations within the lattice. It doesn't move around a whole bunch. So, uh, if and only one proton can be in any one specific holding location at a time because of the, this huge electric field potential, no other protons will go in there. But there's specific locations within the lattice where the protons naturally want to go to. So, 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 so just essentially, we're we're able to. You know, create that heat in the lattice, and 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 it you know makes a little bit of sense on the layman to, to how that works. What what um, you know, I, I remember nineteen eighty nine or so. My son was born, but they that's also when um the the, the uh, fiasco the, occurred. Well, 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 that the, the, there was the whole thing about the cold fusion, which um, a couple right. of guys, Stanley Pons and Martin Fleischman, discovered. And there was a lot of excitement, and then there was a lot of debunking that, that went on. Right, so, right. so was the debunking a mistake? Um, I, I guess it was because you've got something that's essentially working in a similar way. Um, right. What, what what's kind of happened? How how is the um, the, the, the scientific the, community the dealing with this? Well, so the the debunking was very deliberate, and you, you know, if you really want to know what's going on, follow the money. So. By, by making the announcement that they did, and with the infinite wisdom of, of the uh, legislators in, in, in this country, uh, when they made the announcement, you know, every year this country spends more than $200 million a year, which, you know, at, at the federal budgetary level, that's like hardly a line item, right? But in the academic community, that's your life. Uh, that's the, that's the, that's the, the, the total lifeblood for you know, uh, a, a bunch of facilities, not a, not, not a huge number. So there's, there's a, a, a tight-knit, tight-knit community with a strong ties to a few people within the government that are passing out 
hundreds of millions of dollars. And and it so, was just and, and they basically just didn't want to support that direction of, of scientific evolution of, of uh, energy generation. Well, they, they quashed well, it. Well, our our our, our wonderfully intelligent <laughs> legislator said, "We're not giving anybody any money until you tell us what's going on." No, you know. I don't care how curious you are. If somebody's holding, you know, twenty million dollars, withholding twenty million dollars from you and asking you what's going on, and all you have to do is convince them that there's nothing going on to get your twenty million dollars, what uh, are you going to do? Uh, so that's that's kind of what happened. <laughs> that's what happened. So so uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking back to the '80s also again. I remember watching Back to the Future, and they had a Mr. Fusion home energy reactor right. in the in the DeLorean. So is is that are we ever going to be able to see a you know a, a coffee maker size mini home fusion reactor? Is that ten years away or a hundred years away? What do you think? Somewhere in that time frame. Somewhere in that time frame. I'm expecting probably within two years you're likely to start seeing companies selling boilers for your house. You know, you'll have to plug them in to the wall, mm-hmm. but it'll be cheaper to heat your house with a boiler that has Brillouin inside than it will be to heat it with natural gas. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so that, so even I even can see my, my coffee maker would, instead of drawing eight amps, pop, might draw yeah. one amp, and I'm going to be able to boil water in it in three minutes with a, a little reaction. Um, that would be pretty right. cool. So how can people get more information about Brillouin Energy? Where, where where should they go? The website is B-R-I-L-L-O-U-I-N-E-N-E-R-G-Y.com. That's BrillouinEnergy.com. And we incorporated in 2009. There's uh, a wealth of information on the website. Look at all the, the, the drop-down tabs. We're, we're working on coming up with uh, another website. It's a little more up-to-date. Obviously, we, <laughs> we don't have the resources to, to put a lot of effort into our website, but one of our investors has graciously agreed to hire somebody to, to, to come up with a new one because he doesn't like the, the one that we've got up there. <laughs> but there's a lot of good information on the website. There's also a contact box on the on the website, and you can use that to get a hold of us. All right, cool. And and is there is there anything else that you know we're we're, we're just about out of time here? Um, anything else that you'd like to add about Berlin Energy? Just that this is uh, this is real. This is going to happen. We're working on making it happen sooner than later. Like I said, I think it's quite likely within two years you're uh, you're going to start seeing OEMs come out with with products for your your home the hot tube version of the the technology we're working on bringing that up that's not quite as far along as the as the wet system we're hoping within that two years to to start shut down coal-fired power plants and and repowering them as clean green machines well that 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 Uh, sounds that sounds good to me that and that's all the time we've got on this week's energy show Um, robert that was a a great introduction of uh, brilliant energy And I appreciate our listeners for joining us today. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. 